Before we get into the Word, I, uh, you understand that everything that we're doing here right now in our church is foundational. We're, we're really, big, you know, my, my desire is uh, uh, we're, we're establishing culture. We're, we're establishing really right now what, what our church is going to be. Understand, we're going to form habits in this first year as a church that 10 years from now are still going to be our habits. And, and if we're not careful, we can have some bad habits. And if we're intentional, we can have some really, really good things going on. And so I wanted to share with you, I've got this, this big book. Some of you saw me walk up with this huge thing. This isn't, uh, uh, this isn't a Bible. I'd like to have a Bible this big. Make me feel more spiritual. But uh, you understand, this is, like, this, these are, this is an old newspaper, actually. Articles, and uh, you understand, preachers used to share all the time from newspapers, and that's why they needed those big pulpits. Right? You ever seen those? You can go into a church, and you can tell what kind of church, what kind of pastor is preaching, just based on the pulpit that they have. Uh, the bigger the pulpit, the longer you're probably going to listen to him preach. But... Um, but I just wanted to share with you. So what this is, is these, this is a newspaper from 1906. There was, a, there was a mighty move of God that we today have come to call the Azusa Street Revival. How many of you ever heard of the Azusa Street Revival? So it's a powerful move. Now, let me just ask you, how many of you have come from... Uh, a spirit-filled background, meaning you, you, you grew up or you spent time in either an assembly of God, a four-square, a Pentecostal, united Pentecostal, apostolic, uh, um, you know, a, a spirit-filled, maybe a non-denominational church. How many of you grew up in a church like that, even if it was KC? Okay. Most of you, well over half of this room, let us know online. Did you grow up in a spirit-filled church? Did you know? If you are a part of any of those denominations that I named right there, that all started, the movement that your church was a part of started in Azusa Street. Prior to that, there were no spirit-filled denominations. Uh, you know, we had the Protestant Reformation. You look at the early Methodists. Boy, it was powerful how God moved in that day. There was a lot of stuff that happened. There's powerful revivals all throughout history. Touch the Baptist church. Touch the, you know, whatever. But this happened at a period of time in 1906. Racial segregation was at an all-time high. And God used a one-eyed black man in Los Angeles, California. My wife and I, we actually went for the 110-year anniversary in Azusa to go and be a part of the anniversary services because there was a prophecy this mighty outpouring of the spirit happened i'm going to read you some of the testimonies tonight this mighty revival happened god did incredible things and it sparked virtually i'm telling you like half of the church today and i'm talking globally Nearly half of the church would fall within the doctrinal category of what was birthed at 1906. So when you read about how in the last days God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, how in the last days there was going to be this explosion of revival and Pentecost and this resurgence of miracles and the casting out of devils and the, and the preaching of the word. I'm telling you, all of that sparked to life in 1906. In Azusa Street. Now, let me just read to you some of these because, again, I'm talking about how 
we're really laying some foundations for culture. And as I read to you some of these testimonies, uh, I just wouldn't it be nice if some of this kind of stuff became normal for us? Now let me just read to you. This is out of the September 1906 uh, uh, newspaper. It says this, um, Many have laid aside their glasses and had eyesight perfectly restored. The deaf have had their hearing restored. These are first-hand accounts, by the way. A man was healed of asthma of 20 years standing. Many have been healed of heart trouble and lung trouble. Um, many are, oh, let, me, let me read this one. A little girl who walked with crutches and had tuberculosis of the bones, as the doctors declared, was healed and dropped her crutches and began to skip around the yard. All over the city, God began uh, setting homes on fire, coming down and melting and having sanctifying and baptizing with the Holy Ghost. There were reports that what God was doing in these meetings, He began to do in homes all across the city. Wouldn't you like to host a revival even in your own house? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, many churches have been praying for Pentecost, and Pentecost has come. The question is now, will they accept it? God has uh, answered in a way they did not look for. He came in a humble way, as of old, born in a manger. Oh my goodness, that will preach right there. You understand, every time God has done something powerful, whether in the Bible or whether throughout history you look, it, it, it always caused people to kind of... I don't know, furrow their brow, like, what is this? Why are people laughing? Why are people falling? Why are people crying? Why, why is he yelling so much? Why? You know, people have always raised questions about anything that God was doing because God always shows up in ways that we don't expect. And this is why, even as I'm praying, I'm like, God, here's, here's a, the leader of this revival talking about how God came in ways that they did not expect. And God help us if we think that God's going to come in the exact same way, in a way that fits our comfort zone, in a way that we just, oh, well, this is my style of worship. You guys, God may completely turn some things upside down in our mindset. Well, I've never seen anything like that. I want God to do some new things in our midst. I want God to do some things that surprise us and make us say, wow, what's that, Lord? Now, you know what's neat? You go and you find, and it's, it's all in the Bible, but it's powerful. Let's see. A Muslim, Sudanese by birth, had an inter he was an interpreter. He speaks 16 languages. He came into the meetings at Azusa Street. The Lord gave him messages which none but himself could understand. He identified and interpreted and wrote a number of the languages. That means they would begin to pray and God would begin to fill people with the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues. And this Muslim man who spoke 16 different languages was able to distinguish a number of different languages that were spoke and he took and documented uh, some of these things. Absolutely incredible. A little girl, 12 years old, was sanctified in a Sunday afternoon children's meeting. 
In the evening meeting, she was baptized with the Holy Ghost when she was filled. Those standing near remarked, who can doubt such a clear case of God's power? Could you imagine, oh my goodness, you drop off your kids for church or for children's church on Sunday morning, and you pick them up and they're full of the Holy Ghost, and uh, let me pray for you, right? Uh, I don't know if you got, I believe for that kind of thing, man. And I tell you, if the Spirit of God, if, if we're in here having service, and I hear that the Holy Ghost has broken out in a major way in our kids' ministry, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go on a field trip. We're going to join the kids' ministry that Sunday or Tuesday or whenever it may. Uh, come out on Monday night. We got youth. Oh, hallelujah. Um, let me see. Does this encourage you guys? Let me read one or two more. Um, in about an hour and a half, a young man was converted, sanctified, and baptized with the Holy Ghost. He spoke with tongues. He also was healed from consumption. Now, I don't know exactly what that is, but it says when they visited the doctor, they pronounced that his lungs were sound. You understand, this is 115 years old. I don't know what... Does anybody know what consumption is? It's a lung thing, I guess. Anyway, uh, he received many tongues in the gift of prophecy and writing a number of foreign language and has a call to a foreign field. Oh, my goodness. Many are the prophecies spoken in unknown tongues, and many are the visions that God is giving concerning His soon coming. The heathen must first receive the gospel. One prophecy is given. An unknown tongue was interpreted. The time is short. I am going to send a large number in the Spirit of God to preach the full gospel in the power of the Spirit. Oh my goodness. You guys, I'm just going to take some time over our next number of services. I'm just going to read to you some testimonies every time we get together. And Lord, do that for us. Let us have those kinds of testimonies. I want little girls dropping their crutches, and I want children being filled with the Holy Ghost, and I want heathens being baptized and prophesying before they even leave their first meeting. Praise God. I want to hear about revivals breaking out in your homes. How many of you think that God could do something like that? Did you know the Bible prophesies? I, even, I need to get into my message. We won't have time to prophesy. The Bible prophesies that in the last days he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. In fact, as you read through the book of Revelation, you'll see that increasing measure... God will pour out His Spirit. A lot of people think, well, you know, man, the Antichrist is coming and, 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 and tribulation is coming. Things are going to get harder. That's all true. But as one of my friends said, I heard recently, he said that, <laughs> that the wheat gets weedier and the tares get tarrier as time goes on. As we get nearer the time, yes, wickedness will abound, and the love of many will wax cold. We're not going to see a whole lot of lukewarm Christianity in this last day. You're going to watch people either free fall and give fully into wickedness in the world, or you're going to see people who get wild, set on fire, passionate about Jesus, and there's going to be very little middle ground in this. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be on fire. I'm going to fast until my hair catches on fire. Praise God. And uh, hallelujah, you guys are with me. I want you to take your Bible and open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. This is a, this is a neat thing that I saw 
as I was studying, as I was praying, which I know my wife asked you, but how's everybody doing with their fast? Are we doing okay? All right. If you're feeling weak, you message somebody and uh, tell them, hey, pray for me. I smell McDonald's. Whatever it may be, all right. You're going to make it. You'll, you'll make it, okay? And you got, you got some friends and family. And isn't it just, isn't it refreshing to come into the presence of God? I just, uh, man, I, I was on a two-hour Zoom call earlier today with, a, with some staff. And I just sat there just thinking about how hungry I was. But as soon as it was done and I'm able to, you know, worship and pray and, and, and get in the Word and, boy, to come into church tonight, you know, you don't think about that stuff when you're going after God. If you're just sitting around, I'm just tell you, that's why some of you are going to struggle in your fast. If you're just sitting around, you're going to get hungry and you'll probably fail. Get up, pray, call somebody, text somebody, turn on some worship music, watch a sermon, do something to go after God. Here's, I'm like, okay, Romans 12, here we go. Um, but <laughs> let me just tell you one thing. God really laid this upon my heart. It's very important. I've been reading this book in fact, a few, a few of us decided we were going to read the same book together. And one of the things that it talks about was how in, in fasting, the veil between the natural and supernatural just thins. How many of you ever noticed that? You begin to fast and it's like all of a sudden, you know, your sensitivity just becomes higher. Um, this is where we need to be real intentional. Because if the veil is thin... I, I believe, I can't prove this, this is, this is my theory, but I believe what you feed on, what you fill yourself with will have an even greater effect in your life, whether you're feeding on the Word of God, the things of the Spirit, or whether you are feeding on the things of the world. It's going to be complete, you're going to completely derail yourself if you enter into this time of fasting and yet you have periodic spurts of sin while you're fasting. The veil is thin and what's going to end up happening is this influence that was minor is going to be increased because the veil between the spirit and the natural is all that thinner. Does that make sense? Be intentional, please, during this time as we're going after God, as we're fasting and praying. Be intentional. I, I'm going I'm to get in the Word. I'm going to live right. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to be accountable to my brothers and sisters and uh, be in church. Hallelujah. That's why we open this church all the time. Romans chapter 12, are you there? Why don't you stand to your feet? Wow, it's already, okay, I can do this fast. Here we go. Romans chapter 12. In verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, for I say, though through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. We have many members in the body, but all the members do not have the same function. 
We being many members are one body in Christ. Individually we are members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Lord, I just ask you to speak to us through your word tonight. Open our hearts to receive what your spirit is speaking this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I just I want to point out something. You know, we really focus on these Tuesday nights and kind of really honing the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And this is one of two places that you'll see in the Bible. Romans chapter 12 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 where it, it deals a lot with the gifts of the Spirit. And so uh, what you'll notice here is how many understand? You are a triune being. Well, what in the world does that mean, Pastor Jacob? You understand that we have a triune God? That means that He's three in one. He's the Father, He's the Son, and He's the Holy Spirit, right? He's, he's three, but, but He's one. That's the concept of the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. You also are a triune being. Did you know that? You have a soul. You know what your soul is? That's your mind. That's your, that's your will. That's your emotions. That's your soul. That's your, that's your thought process. That's, that's really at the core who you are. You are a soul. I like how C.S. Lewis said it. You have a soul, or you, you are a soul. You have a body. When you look in the mirror and you see that face looking back at you, yeah, that's the shell that God has given you temporarily for this lifetime. But that's a very small part. That shell is not going to enter with you into eternity. What's going to go into eternity is your soul and your redeemed spirit. And you're going to re receive a glorified new body. I just gave you the three parts. Uh, you're triune. You have a soul. Everybody say soul. soul. What is your soul? Your mind, your will, your emotions. You have a body. Praise God. How's your body feel right now? I can feel my, my I can feel, my, yeah, hungry. I can feel my kidneys hurting me. Praise God, because they're cleansing. My wife told me it's official. I have halitosis. We were, I mean, I was talking to her from like this far away. And uh, she scoots away from me. I'm like, what? What's going on? And, uh, but my body is purifying. Hallelujah. And, uh, and so, but I've got a body. And we've all got a body. And then, and then the third part is we've got a spirit. Everybody say spirit. spirit. Now, we all know this, but did you know that your spirit, before you believed in Jesus, your spirit was dead? When you believe in Jesus, the power of God moves in your life in what they call resurrection power. And your spirit man is made alive with Christ. Now here's what you need to understand. Your body is going to fail in this lifetime. We're not taking that to heaven. Your soul is in process right now. We're constantly retraining our mind. We're constantly in this, in this process of purifying our thought process and making sure we think and, and believe and live like Jesus. But our, our, our spirit has already been purified, you understand. 
You've already been made right. You've already been unified with Christ Jesus. And so, so what we really need to be mindful of is as we go through this life, are we going to be mindful of the things of the flesh? We all feel our flesh crying out to us. Or are we going to yield to the things of the Spirit that has been made alive in Christ Jesus? In the middle is our soul. It's our thought process. It's where we make a choice. Am I going to go eat? Or am I going to be faithful in my fast? Right? Am I going to cuss this guy out? Or am I going to bless my enemy? Hallelujah. It's where we always have these decisions. But it always happens. Now, I want you to look at this because the reason I mention that, I want to talk about how we can operate in the gifts. And I really think it comes down to a couple of things. Now, you'll notice he talks about the body. He talks about the mind or the soul. And then he begins, in, from 3 to 8, he begins to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. So you'll notice he's addressing all parts of the body. The, 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 or, you know, us, right? The body, the soul, and the Spirit. Now, what does the body do? Look at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. That word service, now this is very interesting. That word service there is actually the same word that is used all throughout the Bible when it describes the way a priest offers a sacrifice, an animal, on an altar. Now, this is very interesting. I, know, I mean, you might get, well, Pastor Jacob, why do you got to give an altar call every single service? Why do you got to talk about Jesus dying every single service? That just seems so morbid to me. You know what morbid would be? Is if every time you came to worship, you had to bring with you an animal, and Pastor Jacob slaughtered that animal so your sins could be forgiven. That's what all of these people were living under. They all have this idea, when I go to worship, I know that I have failed in my walk with God, and so we bring an animal to sacrifice. Now, somebody better say, thank you, Jesus. You want to know why? Jesus was the spotless, the pure Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, He was the the sacrifice once for all. And so we don't need to bring sacrifices of that man. But did you know? There is still a priest. And there is still a sacrifice under the priestly order that is supposed to take place. We just read about it right here. You know who the priest is? Who is offering a reasonable service to the Lord? You are. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, I'm a priest. Did you know that? The Bible says that you're kings and priests with the Lord. This verse right here affirms that thought. You are a priest. Do you know that you are supposed to bring a sacrifice on a daily basis? You know what that sacrifice is? You guys with me? What's the sacrifice? I know. Yeah, you are. You are. Say, I am. (laughs) So you look at, you know, you just told your neighbor, I'm a priest. You know what else you are? I'm a sacrifice. Look at your other neighbor. Look at some, find somebody else. Say, I'm a sacrifice. <laughs> this is true. So what does that look like? Honestly, guys, we're, I think we're, we're walking in it right now. What we're doing right now is, is saying, I will not allow my flesh to dominate me. 
No, I'm more serious about the Lord than I am about feeding myself. Every day, we are to die to ourselves. Every day, there is this crucifixion of the flesh. It's a reasonable, I like what he says, this is your reasonable service. You know what that means? This is common sense. It makes sense that if Jesus died for you, isn't it only fair that we be willing to give our life for Him? He died for us so that we would not spend eternity separated from So doesn't it make sense that we give this small portion of our lives? And I don't know our life seems long, but boy, I'll tell you, talk to some gray heads in the house. Life goes by real quickly. I'm, I can't believe I'm... Oh my goodness, I'm going to be turning 35 this year. That's not old to some of you. Some of you can barely remember when you were 35. Why? Because it goes by so quickly. It goes by so quickly. And I I just, uh, so you look at this and uh, it's a reasonable service. It's not unfair that the Lord would ask us, lay down your life. But look at what he says here. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh my goodness. This is where we get in the soulish realm. This is where, I'm telling you, you're going to see the difference of a life of power or a life where you're constantly tripping and failing and needing to repent. It's going to be found in your mind. It's all going to be in your soul. And how are you going to find a life of victory? We need to be transformed. We must be transformed. Don't have this idea. He says, says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We want to change the world. We also have this idea, well, I want to look like the world. It's not going to happen. There's a reason... In fact, let me teach you another Greek word here. How many of you know, does anybody know, Bible theologians, does anybody know the Greek word for the word church? Ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. ecclesia. Anybody know what ecclesia means? I'm going to tell you and you'll never forget it. It means called out ones. And the way that you can remember it is in the Greek, the word ek. Everybody say ek. You know what that is? That's the sound you make when you vomit. I'm serious. And this is exactly where that word comes from. Ek. Out. (laughs) This is what Jesus is. He's called us ek of the world. And he has sent us Eck. I mean, that's what he does. You know, I don't know, I'm, I'm like making a fool of myself, but you're never going to forget this now. You're going to remember Ecclesia because we are the sent out ones. Don't think, well, I'm going to have my same circle of friends and all my same habits and I'm going to do all the same things that I did and I'm going to live for Jesus. Doesn't work that way. We have been called Eck. Out. So treat the world like you treat vomit. Hallelujah. And there, the Bible even gives that picture of the backslider, like a pig returning, or no, a dog rather, returning to its own vomit and a pig returning to its slop. Don't do that. That's disgusting, okay? So, um, so how are we transformed? Let me give you a couple ideas and then uh, 
and then I'll, I'll close real quick because I'm, I'm actually almost through this, okay? Uh, how are you transformed? Let me give you three ways that you're transformed in your mind. Which, by the way, that's the same. That transformation, it's the same word that was used when Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop. When Jesus, think about this. Jesus was an ordinary man. Born of a manger. Carpenter. People were like, we know who that guy is. But he would have these moments of incredible demonstration of power where the fullness of the Godhead bodily would be revealed in him, where he would speak to a sick person and they would be healed. He would see a demon-possessed person in a church service on the street and they would be set free. He would speak the Word of God and people would marvel. He speaks as one having authority. Who in the world is this? There were these moments where we would see a regular carpenter. We know him. He's our neighbor. But he would have these moments of divine revelation. And they'd have, the, the, Peter, James, and John got to see it in full display when he was transfigured on the mountain before him. Now here's what's incredible. We have been called. Do not be conformed to the world. What are we supposed to do? We are to be transfigured we are to be metamorphosis we are supposed to be transformed into who jesus is i'm telling you guys why would you want to look like the world when you can have these moments of divine explosive dunamis power being released through you i mean i'll tell you i'm a normal guy there's nothing special or powerful about me but i tell you sunday night we saw these moments where people would come down to this altar and i just barely lay my hand on them and bam under the power of god well what in the world is that has nothing to do with me but it's, it's a divine manifestation of the power of God. And that's not just for preachers. That's for you. Fathers in your home can lay hands on your kids and you can see them filled with the Holy Ghost. Mothers should be prophesying over their kids and speaking destiny and, and purpose. I'm telling you, kids, you can be intercessors. You can go cast out devils at school. Did they ever let you go back to school? I'll just tell you, man, there's, there's these more. I don't understand why anybody would want to conform to the world when our option is being transformed into the image of God. You want to know how you're transformed? Let me give you three ways, super, super quick, and I'm done, okay? Colossians 1.28, Paul said, Him, Jesus, we preach, warning every Every man in teaching, every man in wisdom, that we may present man perfect in Christ Jesus. You want to know how you are perfected? One of the ways? Preaching. Everybody say preaching. preaching. This is why Paul, he said, I preach and I teach because I want to present you to Jesus a perfect man. Or woman, right? A man, a woman, right? No. Okay, that was dumb. So, did you guys hear that? That's so stupid. We really need to pray for our government. I'm just telling you. I don't know how that lady got back in office. Anyway, praise God. But we preach. This is why we preach. Because there is a perfecting. I mean, how many of you have ever sat in a sermon and you have these moments where it's like, oh yeah, I need to work on that. 
Or these moments that stretch you and it's like, wow, I could see the power of God released on, on my family. This is, this is exactly why we share this way. It's transforming our mind. I want to think like Jesus. I want to believe like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. Colossians 3.10, it says, Put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And then in verse 16, this is Colossians 3. It says, The word of Christ dwells in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I'll read that first part again. The word of Christ dwells in you. You want to know the second way you're going to be transformed? You want to transform your mind? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. We're only five days into the new year. You can still start the read the Bible through a year. You just make up a couple days somewhere along the road. Okay, you can still do this. Start to read your Bible. I don't have faith for that. I don't even believe you're reading those Azusa testimonies. I don't know how you... Get in the Word. You want to stretch your faith? You want to begin to believe for the things? I mean, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm so humbled when I hear, read these early revivalists. You know how William Seymour? You want to know how he got his training and education? It was in a day where racial segregation was so intense. He went to Bible school for a man named Charles Parham who they've now proven actually had ties to the Ku Klux Klan. He was one of the Bible teachers. Can you imagine going to school like that? But he was so hungry for the Word of God and for the teaching about the Spirit of God, he got permission to sit outside the classroom because black students were not allowed to come into the classroom with white students. So he sat outside the classroom, received the teaching of the Word of God from a racist man, no less, But he took it, and he said, this is the Word of God. This is the preaching of the Word. And he took it, and he received it as his own. He began to take those messages and preach it all across the night. He got kicked out of churches. In fact, he showed up in Los Angeles, California, where he preached for an opening meeting. He showed up for the evening Sunday meeting. They locked the door. Wouldn't even let him come in. That's where he left. Went down to Bonnie Bray Street. We've been in that house. They began having prayer meetings, and he would teach and preach about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and what God desired to do in the last days. I could spend all night talking about it. It gets me excited. It's the Word of God. Get in the Word. It will transform your life. And then the last, the last thing is uh, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever are just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You want to know how you're going to transform your mind? Meditation. I don't know that word freaks some of you out. That's not a Buddhist thing. That's not a New Age thing. The Bible talked about meditation long before anybody else. Like you see Buddha teach about fasting. Well, that wasn't Buddha's idea. That was God's idea. Buddha didn't didn't invent meditation. No, God did. You pick something pure and holy and righteous, and you think on those things. I I do this very often as I'm going to sleep. The last thing I do every night is I read my Bible. Why? Because I want the Word of God to be going through. Some of you fall asleep to TV. 
be careful. Be careful. I mean, maybe you're watching Christian TV. That's fine. I'm not anti-TV. And we've shut off the TV for this, this period of fasting. But you just you be careful. I want the Word of God to be the last thing that's in my system, even as I'm going to sleep. Why? Because sometimes, I mean, I was reading Revelation last night. And guess what I dreamed about last night? I dreamed about Revelation. I mean, I saw some freaky stuff. Revelation's freaky, man. Why? Because I'm meditating on it. I'm meditating on it. Well, you say you forgot the spirit part. No. Here, here's the thing about the spirit. The thing about the spirit. So our body, we sacrifice. Our soul is being transformed. And it needs to be transformed. Our spirit has already been perfected. Here's what we need to do. We need to yield to the spirit. And I'm telling you, if you can get your thought process right... Spiritual gifts will come naturally. If you understand, I know who God is, and I know what He's able to do according to the Word of God, it's going to change the things that you release. If you understand, I know who God is, and now I know who I am. Wow, I'm a priest, and I'm a king, I'm a healer, I'm gifted, I'm called. Yes, you are all of those things. And when you understand that, I tell you, it'll change the way you minister to people. I don't know if you guys, are you guys still with me tonight? I, 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 hope, you're, I hope you're getting this. I know when I start screaming, you, you know, maybe I just... <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, it's 8.20. Let's take about the next 10 or 15 minutes. If you need to get out, if you're dead set on 8.30, then that's fine. You can go. But uh, I'm going to take some time, and we're going to release some prophetic ministry. You know, I, you know, one of the things that's listed here, you can go through. I've got a lot more that I could say about this. But we're going to have these moments where we yield to the Spirit of God. We just say, Lord, give me your thoughts and give me your ideas for this person that we're going to pray for. And we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us and give us ideas about an individual. And God's going to, he's going to drop some things in you. And the Bible says, we just read the verse, in proportion to your faith, prophesy. You know what that means? That's a yielding moment right there. It's the same way when we were laying hands on ourselves earlier. Do you believe that you could lay hands on yourself and you get healed? Many of you did. Some of you might struggle with that. But as we're transformed, as we understand, wow, the Bible really does teach this. Wow, God really did do that for Minister Ryland. Wow, God could do that for me. That's the transformation process. Then you lay hands and you have faith. It's the same way with prophecy. It's the same way with prophecy. You prophesy in accordance to your faith. Do I really think God could speak to me a word that would encourage this person? If you believe it, then he'll use you. That seems too easy. It is that easy. It's called yielding. Yielding to the Holy Spirit. Wow.